John chapter 4. That's where we're going to be this morning. I, I know that you're going to say, well, duh, and what about what I'm about to say? John chapter 4 follows closely after John chapter 3. And when I say that, I don't mean in the book. I mean in chronology. Jesus has spent some time in Judea. And now he's ready to make his way back to Galilee. Now, you know, being in Judea was not a big surprise. And that's where he had his encounter with Nicodemus, who was one of the Pharisees, spent most of his time in and around Jerusalem and the temple there. But now Jesus is going back north. He's going back to Galilee for a time of ministry there. And, and like anyone else who's traveling, he had to figure out what's, what's, what's the route I'm going to follow. How am I going to go? Being a good Jew, it would just make sense. You'd expect he's going to leave Jerusalem or that region. He's going to go down to Jericho, cross over the Jordan River, go north in the region of Perea. And once he gets north of the land of the Samaritans, he's going to go back to the west, across the river, and into Galilee. Jesus made a lifetime practice of doing what was unexpected. He didn't go down to Jericho and cross the river. He headed north, and he went right through Samaria. Most Jews wouldn't do that because... Well, they didn't want to have to deal with the people called Samaritans. In their minds, they were a lower class of people. They were half-breeds. They were a mixed race. They were a little bit of Jew and a little bit of that, and they, they didn't particularly want to be around that. It was a prejudice issue. And folks, I just want you to know prejudice is wrong no matter what form or, or fashion it takes. And Jesus went out of his way here to prove this. Most Jews would not associate with the Samaritans. He went through their land, stopped in their community, drew water and drank from their well and ate food that had been prepared in their communities. I don't know what more he could do possibly, except maybe have a conversation with them. Last week, we examined the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. Today, we're going to examine a little bit of the conversation between Jesus and the woman at the well. Now, I know most of you have read this account. You've heard sermon after sermon on this account. You've studied this account. You probably know it well enough that I would, if I would just sit down, you all could sit and tell me the story and explain the meanings and the, the nuances and the insights. But unfortunately, that's not how it works. So you get to do this with me, all right? John chapter 4, if you've got your Bible open there, if you can, Will, I'm going to invite you to stand with me. It's a lengthy reading, but we're going to read down through verse 26. Let's begin at verse 3. He left Judea and went away again into Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I am a Samaritan woman? 
for Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You're not greater than our father Jacob, are you? Who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? And Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I'll not be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw. He said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You've correctly said, I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. And the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me. An hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Would you pray with me? Father, this morning I ask you to bless the reading of your word. I pray that as we spend these moments together, you would open our eyes, our hearts, our spirits to the truth. Father, I pray that in this place you would find worshipers who honor you by worshiping in spirit and truth. Father, just as you called out to that woman, I pray today that you would call out to those who are in this place and need a relationship with you. Just as you changed her life, I pray that you would change ours. And Father, I pray that when we leave this place, we would more clearly understand and see who you are and the desire that you have for each of our lives. Now teach us your way. Show us your truth. And grant us grace to walk in it. But we pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. You know, we've been taking some snapshots of Jesus. Haven't been doing it very long. Just started a few weeks ago. I hope you've been catching those. We're going to continue to do that for the next couple of months as we build our way toward Easter because I want us to understand when we arrive at the cross, 
who Jesus really is and what Jesus is really about. This morning, we're going to look at this conversation that Jesus had with this Samaritan woman. I love the way that this passage of Scripture begins telling us that he was on his way to Galilee, but in verse 4 saying he had to pass through Samaria. He was compelled. He was moved by the Spirit of God to go through Samaria. And I think there are multiple reasons. We could spend all day just unpacking the reasons for it, okay? I mean, certainly we could talk about the fact that he knew there was already a divine appointment for him to meet with this woman and for her life to be changed because that was going to change a community and that was going to, that community that was changed would change a region. But I think it also had to do with his own disciples. They needed to learn a great lesson. They needed to learn that God loves all people without distinction of race or ethnic background. But don't ever discount the fact that Jesus knew this woman was going to be there. He knew this meeting at the well was going to take place. Friends, I've been talking to you for months. I'm going to keep talking to you for months and years to come if the Lord grants me that much breath asking you who's your one last week we saw Jesus in a conversation with one man Nicodemus this morning we're going to see Jesus in a conversation with one woman this woman at the well he offered to her something that many people in our world are still longing for living water something that will give them hope and satisfaction and fulfillment my curiosity is how do you do this how did Jesus go? I mean, I have people all the time tell me, well, preacher, I, I just don't know how to share my faith. I'm too nervous. I'm scared about it. What if, what if people don't accept it? What if they don't agree with me? What if they, what if they, what did Jesus do? That's what I wanted to look at. And, and that's what I sat down and began to look at this passage of Scripture through the lens of how did Jesus go about sharing himself with this woman? And there were some things that jumped into my mind, and, and one of the things that jumped in my mind was how Jesus approached skittish people. I wrote that down, and, and I, I, I sat there for a minute, and I thought to myself, well, wait a minute. I don't know if everybody knows what skittish is. And so I thought about it. How do you go about doing that? And I figured out the other night, I need to find a cowboy. <laughs> Hi, Jim. Hi. How you doing this morning, man? Can you tell these fine folks what skittish means? It means jumpy and scared and nervous. You ever tried to get on a skittish horse? I've owned two of them. Yeah? <laughs> How'd they ride? Terrible. Terrible. Okay, that's what I wanted to hear. You know, horses can be skittish. Animals can be skittish. But don't forget, people can be skittish too. Some people are so skittish that, man, if they see, if they see the preacher coming up their sidewalk, they'll turn out the lights and act like nobody's home in the evening. I'm telling you, I've had that experience. People can be skittish. They, they're nervous. They're anxious. They're, they don't know what to expect. And that makes them uneasy and hard sometimes to deal with and to cope with. And, and here's Jesus. He approaches this woman. I'm, I'm just telling you, I think she was skittish. And I've had people say, well, you have no reason to say that. I have every reason to see that. First off, I want you to see what Jesus did. He comes to her one-on-one. Did you get that? He didn't have a crowd of guys with him. You know, sometimes people get overwhelmed when they see a crowd of people coming. They're outnumbered. And so they get nervous. They get skittish. They get, they get uneasy. He chose to ask 
while he was alone. The disciples had gone on into the town to buy food. He made it his business to be at the place where he knew that woman would come at that moment. Now he said, well, that's not fair. He's God. He knew where she was going. Absolutely. But can I tell you something? He still is God. And he knows where people are going to be. And sometimes he fixes it so that our paths will cross people one-on-one. We just need to be aware of the situation and prepared to do what needs to be done in that moment. Otherwise, we cross paths. They keep going one way. We keep going the other way. And what God intended to have happen misses. He has to send somebody else. He has to create another appointment. Not so with Jesus. He knew why he was there. But he didn't make a direct approach. I mean, some people would see, man, I've got this person one-on-one. There's nobody else around. I can get after them, and I can lay this out and nail it down and hammer them into the ground. I'll beat them over the head with my Bible if I've got to. That wasn't how Jesus approached it. He understood her heart. Can I just tell you something? You see somebody that seems to be a little bit skittish when you start talking to them? Understand their heart. They're nervous. They're uneasy. They're uncertain. Now, Jesus, again, he he had that advantage. He knew her heart. He understood her heart toward him, toward toward men, toward Jews in general. She's going to become defensive very quickly if if he becomes aggressive. She was a Samaritan. She was a woman. She was... She had no standing in society. She would, she'd be suspicious of any Jews, first off, who would come and talk to her. Secondly, she's going to be absolutely suspicious of any man who engages her in conversation or, or tries to engage her because she had quite a lengthy history with men, if you remember the story. Secondly, she had a, a deep moral problem, and, and so that would make her kind of slow to discuss spiritual matters, religious things, because, well... Let's get right down to it. We're all a little bit skittish when it gets to that. Because when we start having those conversations, it means we have to come face-to-face with our own sin. How many of us like coming face-to-face with our own sin? None of us do. Let's just be perfectly honest. But that's what happens when we start dealing with spiritual matters and thinking about spiritual matters, religious matters. So Jesus... Seeing her skittishness, knowing her heart, understanding her difficulty takes what I think is the most unobtrusive approach possible. Hey, would you mind giving me a drink of water? Derry sits at the well. She can see. He doesn't have a rope. He doesn't have a bucket. He doesn't have anything to draw with. Kind of a silly place to be sitting if you don't have anything to draw with because well's deep. What woman in that culture, in that day, would have told him no? No one. And so he asked for a drink of water. And she obliges. Now, I'm just going to tell you that Jesus saw how this was starting to unfold. And as I spent these moments looking at this passage of Scripture, I began to, to think about how he addresses our agitation, our avoidance, because he does this, and we're still like this. We still get agitated when somebody starts to push on us, and we, we tend to try to avoid the truth if we can possibly get around it, because sometimes the truth is hard to accept. It's hard to voice. It's hard to take on and say, yeah, this is mine. I own it. 
But I would give anything in the world if I could just hear this conversation. I mean, we can read it, but it's not the same, is it? Now, these kids are so interactive, and you people are dead. I'm just telling you. I ask them a question, I get an answer. I ask you a question, I get... Let me ask you again. Don't you think it would be nice to hear this conversation? Have you ever gotten an email, and the words say one thing, but you're thinking, hmm... Seems maybe they shouldn't type to me in that tone of voice. You ever had that experience? Or a text message on your phone? Yeah. You see, whenever something is written down, we've got a great record of conversation here in John chapter 4. But when it's written down, you can't hear the tone of voice. You can't see the body language. You can't hear the inflection. You can't see the interaction. And and that's why I say I would love to have been able to hear this conversation because there's so many dynamics possibly at work here. Maybe they're not. I I don't know. But look with me. If you've got your Bible, look at verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, now I'm, I'm thinking there's a little tone of voice here, Ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman. You see, she's recognizing their different places in society and culture. I think there maybe is a little bit of tone, maybe a little bit of attitude here. There are those that I read who said, oh, she spoke sharply to Jesus and and would be enraged that he would make such a a request. I don't think it was that. But I think she was genuinely surprised. But you know what, I think this is a woman that if you just look at the conversation, she was weary of life. Her spirit was defeated. She had been broken so many times that she's one of those people you meet that's just, she's going through the motions of life, but there's no joy, there's no enthusiasm, there's no energy. It's just, if I can make it through this day, if I can get through to the end of the week, if I can just make another month if I can get to the end of the year maybe maybe next year she just weird any of y'all ever feel like that you just move from one one deadline to the next hoping that something was is going to get better something's going to change Jesus gave her an answer in verse 10 he said look if you knew the gift of God If you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him. And he would have given you living water. Now, I'm just going to tell you something. That answer, as awesome as it is, had to be designed to create curiosity and to raise more questions, to stir the conversation. Because there are so many spiritual overtones in it. And her answer, her answer reveals that she did not fully appreciate the significance of what Jesus said to her. In verses 13 and 14, she, she answered him, look, she says, everyone who drinks this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of this water, uh, what are they going to be? Never thirsty again. Satisfied. She didn't understand. You haven't got anything to draw with. Where are you going to get this living water? And Jesus explains, this isn't water that's going to come out of that hole in the ground. 
This is something totally different. This is a concept that is outside the realm of your thinking, and I don't think she got it. I don't think she understood it because in verse 15, she says to him, Sir, give me this water so I'll not be thirsty or have to come all the way out here to draw water anymore. Now he's got her on the hook. It's time to set the hook and start reeling now, okay? Let me tell you something about encounters with Jesus. This is just my personal experience, and certainly it's borne out in this, but some of you can, are going to be able to shake your head and say, uh-huh, I get this. Some of you are going to look at me and say, I don't understand. But let me tell you something I've come to believe about encounters with Jesus. They are shockingly revealing. When you find yourself in an encounter, one of those moments of, of, of worship, one of those moments of silence, one of those moments studying the Word of God, one of those moments where the Spirit of God begins to speak to you so clearly and so plainly, and you begin to see who you are, and you begin to understand more fully who He is, it is shockingly revealing. It is difficult and Jesus knew, i got to bring this woman to that place where she's going to look in the mirror and I'm, she needs to see who she really is. And so in verse 16, he asks her to do the most amazing thing. Go get your husband and come back. There you are, folks, face to face with your reality. I don't know what your reality is today, but I'm going to tell you this. We all have a reality, don't we? There's not one of us sitting in this room, I don't care how much you look at me and refuse to nod your head, to smile, to acknowledge that you hear my voice or, or whatever you choose to do. There is not one of us sitting in this room or standing, I'll include myself, who does not have something in our lives that he could point to that puts us at that moment of saying, ouch, I really wish he hadn't gone there. We all have it. She did too. And she's talking to God in flesh. And so he walks her right up to the mirror and says, here, take a peek. Go get your husband and bring him back. And it worked. It worked. Did you see it? it? It worked. She said, I have no husband. She didn't try to tell him, I live by myself. She didn't spin some story. She told him the truth. She just didn't tell him everything. Didn't matter. He already knew it. That's one of the most amazing things about having an encounter with Jesus. You can tell him what you want him to know, but don't worry about it. He already knows the rest of the story. She said, I don't have a husband. He said, well said. In my mind, I hear Jesus saying, well played. Well played. You're right. You've already been married five times. And the man you're living with now, he's not your husband. And do you know what this woman did? 
Here's Jesus. He's doing everything he can to bring her to that place and yet at the same time not put her into such an amazingly difficult place that she would turn around and walk away and go back to town. And and do you know what she did? The same thing we do. Let's change the subject. But before she had the opportunity to change the subject and walk away, he let her change the subject and then used what she brought up to reveal himself to her heart. That's what Jesus does. He'll let us steer the conversation until he's ready to drive. When he's ready to drive, he takes the wheel. He brings her to this discussion about her husband and her lack of husband and the number of husbands. And she says, you know what? I need to get out of this conversation real quick. Let me just tell you something. Sometimes the quickest way to get out of any conversation is to talk about religion or politics. All right? I I mean, you can rip the sheets quicker on those two things. Well, maybe a football game. I don't know. But you, you you can divide a crowd quickly. If you get into the right topics, right? And so what does she do? The very first thing she does after that is she goes and she changes the conversation. Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worship here. Let's get down to the differences between us and you. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain. And did you, I love this. I love this. If you're a reader, you need to catch this. Verse 20. Did you get it? Some of you are grinning at me. You know what I'm fixing to say. You people, can you imagine saying to God, you people, but that's what she said. Our fathers have worshipped here in this mountain. And you people say that Jerusalem is the place. She's trying to drive this thing to a place where he's going to tell her, why don't you just go back to town? I'm done with you. But see, here's the the good news I want you to hear. God doesn't get tired and push us away. God does not give up on us and send us away and out of that place of conversation and conviction. For years there had been this controversy between the Jews and the Samaritans concerning the proper place for worship. They were divided over this issue. Now, I understand the people that were calling the Jews, these were people who had been carried away in captivity, and they had come back, and they had reestablished their homes and rebuilt their temple and reestablished worship in Jerusalem. The Samaritans, do you know who the Samaritans were? The Samaritans were the people who got left behind. Now, that doesn't sound like a big deal, but, but understand, when a conquering army came in like they did in the Old Testament, And they took the people into exile. What they took was they took all of the educated. They took all the royalty. They took the wealthy people. They took the smart people. They took the craftsmen. They took people who could add something to their society. And they drugged them across the land until they took them to their home. The Samaritans... The Samaritans had been born out of the dregs of Jewish society crossbred with the lowest of the Assyrian culture. Soldiers, the warriors, mercenaries. And these were the people that had become the Samaritans. And since they weren't accepted when the Jews came back to re-inhabit the land, they just stayed where they were. 
And when the Jews rebuilt Jerusalem and rebuilt the temple and reestablished their worship, they didn't invite the Samaritans to come, and so the Samaritans stayed where they were, and they worshiped there on Mount Gerizim. And this division lingered, and these people grew to hate each other, and they divided themselves out. And the Samaritans refused to recognize Jerusalem as the place The Jews refused to acknowledge Mount Gerizim as the place. And for someone like me, I stand aside and I look and say, how ridiculous and petty is this? God is God over all. In every place, in every town, on every mountain, I do not care where you go on the face of this earth. God is God. He is in control. He is worthy of worship. He is worthy of praise. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter what bloodline flows through your veins. It does not matter what your family's history is. And Jesus brings that point home to her. I want you to look at the conclusion of this with me. Verse 21, Jesus said, woman, believe me. An hour is coming, a time is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you don't know, we worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, a time is moving up on us when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be His worshipers. Now, I just want to pause and I want to put this in historical context for you. How many of y'all been to Israel? Show me your hands. A few of you. You've been to the Temple Mount? Is the temple there? Do the Jews gather and worship at the temple as was prescribed for them in the Old Testament? No. They have not now for well over a thousand years. In fact, very close to 2,000 now. Nor is there worship that occurs on Mount Gerizim. The Samaritans, why, they don't even know who they are anymore. There's still a few people who say, well, I'm a Samaritan, but they, they've scattered. They, are, they have mixed into the rest of the culture. It's become a hodgepodge. There is no worship on Gerizim. There is no worship on the Temple Mount today. Well, unless you want to call the worship of the false god Allah, which that does happen there, but that's beside the point. That's a whole other story. The reason I'm telling you that is I want you to understand the day, the time, the hour that Jesus predicted. It has come. It's not happening in this place or in that place. Today, the worship of the Father occurs in spirit and truth. You don't have to be in the church house to worship. Don't take me at my words and say, preacher said I can go anywhere I want. I can fish. I can golf. I can horseback ride. I can do whatever I choose on Sunday morning. Preacher said I don't. That's not what I said. But I am telling you, wherever you are, you have the freedom and the opportunity to worship God in spirit and in truth. That ought to happen when you're driving across town in your vehicle. That ought to happen when you're in your home by yourself and all of a sudden you have that moment of awareness and you know that he's there and and you need to have a conversation with him. So how do I know when 
the Spirit prompts. Jesus said the Holy Spirit will convict the world concerning sin and, and, and is going to draw people. He said, you're not going to come to me unless you're drawn to me. This is what the Spirit of God does. This woman, she knew the truth. She was fighting for all she was worth against it. But she knew the truth. In verse 25, she said, I know, I know that Messiah is coming. And when that one comes, he will declare all things to us. He's going to tell us everything. And you know what's so ironic about that? I want you to look at verse 25. Look at what she said about Messiah when he comes. He will declare all things to us. Get that? He will declare all things to us. Now, we didn't read it, but I'm trusting some of you are familiar with the story. When she went back into town, do you remember what she told the townspeople? Come meet a man who told me everything I ever did. He will declare all things to us. Come meet this man who told me all I ever did. She opened the door and Jesus walked in. Now, you know, I spent a lot of time looking to we could pre- I could preach a series of sermons out of this one chapter. We could go for months right here. And we could outline and outline and outline and we could draw out different points time after time. But let me just... This Samaritan woman was familiar with Scripture. She knew what Scripture said. What she didn't know about was divine grace. Her broken life had affected the way she thought about people, the way she thought about Jews, the way she thought about men. She'd grown cynical, I think. She longed to have meaning in her life. But I want you to understand something this morning. Meaning in life is found when we find Christ and we receive forgiveness. Whenever we come to him in repentance and faith and he washes over us with grace, cleansing us and making us something new. And he does it in accordance with our history, in accordance with our experiences, in accordance with our past. What happens in my life is not the same thing that's going to happen in your life. What happens in your life is not going to be the same as what happens in someone else's life. I wish we had a record of this woman's response to what Jesus said at the end of what we read. Because when you get to the end of of what we read, at the very end, the last thing he said to her in verse 26 is, I who speak to you am he. But the conversation was interrupted by the return of the disciples. We don't have any record of them saying, Lord, what are you doing talking to that woman? Is Is that lady bothering you? We'll take care of her. You know, they were macho guys. We'll take care of that woman if she's, if she's bugging you. Nothing like that. But John resumes the narrative in verse 28. When he says, this woman left the well and she went back into the city. And there she told the people about this man she had met and invited them to come out and meet him too. 
Now, here's where I want to stop because I want you to understand what that means. That means her life was changed. Her heart was changed. She became a different person when she met Jesus. And I know you probably you're thinking, well, how do you know that? It's a really simple thing. Let me explain it to you. The reason she was out there drawing water from the well in the middle of the day was she was a cast out from the culture. She was not a part of the accepted circle of ladies in the town. Everyone knew her. Everyone knew her history. Everyone knew her failures. Everyone knew of the problems that she had had and experienced and that she lived in. Everyone knew that what she was doing in her lifestyle was not acceptable to their religious culture and sensibilities. And so she was pushed outside and she lived like that. But when she met Jesus, when she met Jesus, she went running back into that town and said, y'all got to meet this man. You're not going to believe what he did. You're not going to believe what he's told me. You're not going to believe how he's changed me. I-, I want you to understand what she figured out that day. There's only one person who can change your heart. There's only one person who can transform your life. There's only one person who can give you a new life and give you meaning and purpose in life. And that one person on that day was Jesus Christ. 2,000 years have passed and there's still just one person and it still is Jesus Christ if you believe in him if you come to him in faith and repentance and allow him to wash over you with grace he'll set you free he'll set you free from whatever it is that's binding you it doesn't matter if it's immorality it doesn't matter if it's substance abuse it doesn't matter if it's pornography It doesn't matter if it's a habit of lying and misleading people. It doesn't matter if it's cheating in your business. Whatever it is that has got a hold of you and you can't get it to turn loose of you, I want to tell you something. Jesus can take the chains off. And he will if you ask him. The question is, the question is, will you let him? My friends, I want you to hear me very clearly right now. In this room right now, there are some people who in their hearts are hearing a voice saying, will you give me a drink of water? And I want you to know about that voice, who he is what he can do because today if you'll let him he can give you a drink of living water and you will never never thirst again he's waiting What would your answer be? Let's bow our heads together. In just a moment, we're going to stand together. We're going to sing a song of, of invitation, of commitment, surrender. I, I just want to give you an opportunity to respond to the Word of God, to the Spirit of God, if He's calling. 
It's easy for us to point at the woman at the well and say, well, yeah, but man, she was such an awful sinner. Aren't we all? Aren't we all? You see, it doesn't have to be what you would consider a big sin or a bad sin. It just has to be a sin. God says, that's enough. I hate sin. I can't abide the presence of sin. And so he gave his son a perfect, sinless, spotless lamb. And our sin was placed upon him. And when he went to the cross, he paid for our sin. And he offers forgiveness. He offers new life. He offers to give you meaning in life if you'll call on him. I want to invite you to do that. If you're here this morning and and you don't have a relationship with the Lord, you say, man, I, I need something to take care of this sin issue in my life. I need someone to forgive me. I need meaning and purpose in my life. In a moment when we stand and begin to sing, would you just come and take me by hand and say, Pastor, I want that relationship. I won't embarrass you. I won't put you on the spot. I won't do anything like that. But I want you to know this morning that according to the word of God and God himself, you can be forgiven and you can become a child of God today. Maybe you're my brother or sister in Christ. You've done that. I want to ask you, are you living Christ every day? Are you walking with him and letting your light shine on the people around you in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your home, in your school? If not, what's stopping you? Today, today would you say to him, Father, I want you to take every ounce of my being and make it what you want it to be so that my life and my light reflects Jesus everywhere I go. Would you let him use you? Maybe he set you on a course and (laughs) you keep crossing paths with this person. Maybe you saw him at the grocery store. Maybe you saw him at the restaurant. You're wondering, well, this is strange. I keep bumping into this person. Maybe that's the appointment God has for you. Would you quit bumping and start talking? Would you seize that opportunity? Maybe you need to figure out who's your one. Maybe you need to ask God to place that one on your heart. Whatever it is that you need to do, my friend, I invite you to do it this morning. Do it before you leave here. And worship Him in spirit and truth. Father, I thank you this morning for your word. What a powerful word it is to see how you you dealt with people. You still deal with people. You don't wait for them to clean their lives up or get religious or turn over a new leaf. You meet them right where they are, and you initiate the change. You make all things new. You turn people into what you want them to be. This room is filled with testimonies of living proof. Father, I'm convinced in this room there are some still who need to experience that. Some who are waiting, some who are wondering, when will that happen for me? Father, I pray your spirit would convict them today, draw them today. Let this be the day of their salvation. Father, there's some of my brothers and sisters. They've given their hearts to you. They've given their lives to you, but they've let the world begin to reclaim parts of their lives. They're fighting for all they're worth. They're trying to hold on. I pray, Father, that today you would teach them to surrender to you and let you do the fighting. Father, there's some in this room 
who want to be used by you. But they're not sure what that means. Lord, I just pray this morning, call us to full surrender. That we would turn loose of everything we are and everything we have and let you do with us what you desire. Father, you've spoken through your word. Your spirit speaks even now. Give us ears to hear and help us to be obedient. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.